What I have for you this morning is actually ended up being part three of a sermon series. I didn't intend to be a series, but two weeks ago and four weeks ago, I talked to you about knowing how to know God. And that scripture plainly spells out for us the way to know God is to love people. Right? We started with the scripture where Jesus says, not everybody who calls me Lord is actually my disciple. There'll be lots of people who think that they know me, but I don't know them and they don't know me. I don't want to be in that group, and you don't want to be in that group that thinks you know the Lord, but you really don't, thinks you're destined for heaven, but you really aren't. And I said that we don't have to be scared of that because God spells it out very simply. That 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says, those who love people know God. Those who don't love people don't know God. So I spent four weeks ago and two weeks ago we talked about the way to know God is to love people. And we have to actually live it out. Can't just read the book. Can't just watch the movie. Can't just uh, sit in church and say amen. We actually have to love people in deed and in truth, Jesus said. So if you were not here the last two weeks ago and four weeks ago, uh, you can go back online and, and listen to those and you'll kind of catch up to where we're at. But this morning I just want to flesh out a little more what it means to love people that, to know God. So let's go back to Genesis, where God created it all. And on the first five days of creation, he makes something, and he looks at it, and he says the same thing at the end of each day. And God saw that it was good. Okay? First five days of creation, God looks at what he made, and he says, that's good. On the sixth day, he makes Adam... And he says, this is not good. Yes, that's what it says. God makes Adam, and he does not say, this is good. It says, it is not good. God and Adam are in perfect communion, with no sin dividing them, no barriers, no communication problems, no sin, no nothing, no guilt, no shame. Adam and God have a 100% perfect relationship, and God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Hello? Come on. He's not alone. He's got God. But God says, it's not good that he's alone. So what does he do? He makes Eve. Now, I'm not talking man and woman or marriage, in the general sense, Adam, the word means humanity. It's, Adam means mankind, is what it means. So in the most general sense, God looks at humanity and says, there's one person on the planet, and he says, when he and God have perfect communion, an unbounded relationship, and God said, it's not good. I am not enough for him. He has to have another person. God looks at Adam. Now, I'm not putting words in God's mouth, folks. I'm not spinning scripture. I'm just quoting God directly. God says, when God and Adam are in perfect, unhindered relationship and perfect communion, Adam lives in 100% the presence of God in a way that you and I can only imagine. In our highest, most rapturous moments of prayer or worship, we haven't even begun to touch what Adam had. And God said, this is not enough. I'm here to tell you this morning, God is not enough for you. You have to have people. Other people. Because when God creates Eve, now obviously that's male-female, it's marriage, it's all that, it's a whole other sermon. I'm just saying God has one person and he creates another person and now those two can relate. And then God says it is very good. Right? At the end of the sixth day after Eve is made, God says now this is very good that they have each other. You need to know God is not fulfilling by himself in your heart. Which is why we have so many Christians 
who are lonely or depressed or have anxiety or whatever, and they think, I should be happy. I have God. I know God loves me. I know I'm forgiven. I know he approves, but why do I feel so lonely? Because God made us, he designed us for each other. But then we're too busy to have friends, or we've been hurt so we won't let people in, or we have unforgiveness, or we have broken family, marriages, relationships, and and hurts. Even when God is all there, it still hurts bad. Why? Because God designed us for each other. God is not enough. We cannot know God by reading our Bible. We cannot know God by sitting up in the middle of the night with a guitar and just worshiping our way into his presence. Unless that also includes relationship with other people because those who love people know God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. If you don't love people, you don't know God. I cannot get to God on my own. I have to have people to teach me to love that I learn from and that I'm teaching and relating to and in our love for each other, working all that out, we learn who God is. God designed us with a need for each other, even above and beyond him. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there's a reason you're unfulfilled because you're not, you don't know God. We would love to introduce you to him. But I'm talking to uh, people who are in Christ but still don't feel fulfilled or maybe you're lonely or maybe it's broken and I'm telling you, it's because God is not enough. We need each other. He designed us that way. And you know that isolation is punishment. God's punishment to Cain is to drive him away from his family. It's God put a curse on Cain that drove him from other people. It is a curse that we divide ourselves from each other. Isolation, physical isolation, like in a prison setting, is punishment. You know, uh, you know solitary. In a POW camp or a penitentiary or whatever, isolation is punishment. What does it do to people? It makes them go crazy. Well, God is there. God is not enough. We need relationship with each other to think straight. People literally, truly go mental when they're isolated from other people in whatever sort of situations like survival situations where they're stranded by themselves or in a penitentiary where they're put in the hole or they, you know, in a POW camp or whatever. We know physical isolation from other people drives people literally, truly insane. We need each other. Even a solid, God-fearing Christian person who goes, gets isolated physically from other people will go crazy because God is not enough. We have human rights laws, thank God, in America that you know, people can only be in isolation in prison for a certain amount of time. But you know other stories of Soviet gulags and concentration camps and stuff where they do it on purpose to people to torment them. And people will go to great lengths to contact other people, like with codes and tapping on the wall. And we, we so need relationship with each other because that's the way God designed it. That isolation is a punishment. Isolation makes us not think straight. So, to whatever extent I isolate myself from other people, emotionally, I am not thinking straight. You know when you're home alone at night, crazy thoughts can come. And you know they're crazy, but they're there because you're alone. Lights and motion and movement and darkness and like, ah. We get alone, we go crazy. You know that if you were forced to go camping out in the woods in a tent by yourself, let's say without a tent, by yourself up in the woods, you would think some irrational thoughts in the night because you're by yourself. We find great comfort in relationship with each other. And God designed it. He said it is not good that we be alone. Isolation was punishment for Cain. So here's the deal. If Sarah and I, that's my wife for those of you who don't know, if Sarah and I have a, an argument and 
we may need to physically part for a while to calm down and so we don't say something we regret or whatever. But if in my heart, if in her heart, if we hold on to unforgiveness or anger and we pull apart, just how to whatever extent, like I'm not going to forgive you, I'm going to stay mad a while. By definition, if I isolate myself from her, I'm not thinking straight because I've isolated myself. If I have unforgiveness for my parents or or somebody in the church or whatever, if somebody begins to draw away from church or family or whatever, you're not thinking right because God created us for relationship. When God created human relationship, and I know it's Adam and Eve, I know it's part of its marriage and part of its sexual attraction and male and female stuff, but that's a whole other sermon. I'm just saying he had one person, he said, this is not good. He creates a second person, he says, now they can relate to each other. This is the pinnacle of creation is human relationship. This is very good. This is the best thing ever is that they can love each other. As representatives of just all of humanity, okay, is what I'm saying. Notice when Adam and Eve then ate the fruit. We're not told how long after they created they ate the fruit, but knowing humanity, I'm going to guess it's like three hours. Okay, it could have been millions of years, but we're going to guess it's, you know, it's a matter of hours. You tell your kid, don't touch that. Where do they go? Exactly. Adam and Eve went right over the tree, I'm sure. Check it out. So however long they had perfect communion with God, Adam with God, Eve with God, Adam and Eve with each other. Perfect communion, no shame, no guilt, no broken anything, nothing. It was perfect, and we can't even imagine how perfect it was. And they ate the fruit, and, what is, and God is not there. God is not there when they eat the fruit. God comes later in the cool of the day, and, he, and that's when it, they hid, and he's like, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? I hope you know the story. But God is not there. They ate the fruit, they sinned, and what is the first thing that happens? They realize they are naked and they are ashamed, not toward God, toward each other. So they put on fig leaves as clothing, and now there is a barrier between Adam and Eve. Their relationship is broken. They've put up a covering, a wall, a barrier. The first thing that sin broke was not our relationship with God. It was our relationship with each other. Do you hear me? Because the last thing God created, the pinnacle of creation, was not his relationship with us. It was our relationship with each other. So as we're approaching the end of creation, God creates his relationship with Adam. It's like, that's not enough. The last thing he creates is our relationship with each other, Adam with Eve, person to person. And then sin comes, and the first thing that breaks is the last thing that was created, which was the pinnacle. We fell from the pinnacle. We're divided from each other now. There's a barrier. There's a wall. There's a covering. I don't want you to know the me or me because now I'm ashamed. I'm not talking about, I don't want to see you naked. I'm not talking about clothing. I'm talking about there's shame. There's covering. There's, I don't want you to fully, really know the whole me because now I, I got to cover up a little bit. I got to hide. Sin broke our relationship with each other, and then later in the day, it broke our relationship with God. Do you see it? So our relationship with each other is that important. Human relationships are that powerful for good and bad that it is God's highest creation. It is the only thing of which he says this is very good. This is the best. This is awesome. And it's the first thing that broke in our sin is now we hide from each other, we're ashamed. We cover up a little bit. But then 1 John 1, 7 says this, when we come into Christ, 1 John 1, 7 says when we come into Christ, it says if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. What is the very first thing that happens when we come into Christ? We have relationship with each other again in a way that people outside of Christ cannot have. 
Because there's barrier, there's wall, but in Christ there's the glory of God is back that Adam and Eve lost and we're in the light and we have relationship with each other. And in those relationships, in the fellowship of what we call church, then the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Most churches get it backwards. They say, you know what, clean up your life and you can join us. God's plan is join the church and they'll get you cleaned up. Come on, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Not one or the other, but there is an order. Come on. When we come into Christ and we live in the light, this is another of the proofs. Do you know that you know Jesus? You have fellowship with your Christian brothers and sisters. Real, open, transparent relationship that the world cannot have. Come on. If we live in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. That relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other in the Lord is restored in Christ. That innocence and purity and transparency and trust and openness and honor and love and beauty, all that stuff that they lost, it's in Christ. 1 John 2.10 says, he who loves his brother, there is no cause for stumbling in him. So again, I use this verse both of the last two times I've talked about this. If you want to know that you know the truth, how can I know that I know the truth and I'm not deceived in what I believe? Well, if you love your brother, there's no cause for error or there's no cause for deception. The word can be translated. Relationship is the protection. Not relationship with God, relationship with each other. Hello. There's a lot of people who claim to know God who don't. Jesus said so. And you know it. You hear it. ISIS claims to know God. Come on. It's not relationship with God or thinking we have one that is the safety. The safety is, are we living in real love and real Christian fellowship with real people? Because in all of the rubber meets the road stuff of all of our different kinds of relationships, having to get along with people and love them and forgive and sacrifice and, and all the joys and the pains of relationship, you'll know God. Because God is really easy to love. I can, I can love God all day long. He never hurts me. But you all do. I don't mean specifically. I don't know. We hurt each other. Families, churches, coworkers. Name the relationship. You know, I had a lady here years ago tell me church is the place to come to get hurt. And it's true. <laughs> In too many cases, it is way too true. If you love those people, now you're talking Jesus' language. Come on. If we only hang out with people that we like and that like us and that never hurt us and we get along all the time, which is a pipe dream, it's impossible. But if that were possible, we would not know the Lord. Because he hung out with people that were sinners. He hung out with people that hated him. He hung out with people who disagreed. And he, was, he, and he loves his enemies and he's a forgiver and... If there's ever been anybody that's been wrongly accused and lied about and twist, had his words twisted for 2,000 years, it's Jesus. So only when we learn to love the people that don't love us will we actually know Jesus. So relationship with other people is really where the proof is in the pudding, you've maybe heard the saying, or it's where the rubber meets the road. And again, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, if we love each other, We'll know God. If we don't, then we don't know God. For those of you who are introverts who are panicking at what I'm saying, you need to know that I am as introverted as they come. I think that's why uh, God so nailed this into me years ago um, is because I would be the person who would love to go be that mystic monastery sort of hermit that lives in the cave in the mountains and sits cross-legged and just communes with the Holy Spirit. I like to worship by myself better than I do with people. I like to read my Bible in quiet and peace. I like to think. I, I get recharged by being alone. 
not in a crowd. And I know some of you are charged up by being in crowds and people and you get energy. Man, it just sucks me dry. And all the introverts said, amen. And I know there's a bunch of you here. because, Okay, so I, I, I'm not saying you can't be introverted and, and you can't go out by yourself and worship the Lord or you can't go and, and meditate and commune with the Lord and by yourself and all that. I'm just saying that we can relate to the Lord all day long because it, and actually it's self-protection. It's, it's a safety, it's a withdrawal, and therefore it is an isolation. Because it hurts to love people. No Jesus. <laughs> no Jesus. Come on. So I'm not saying you can't be introverted and, and have quiet times and peaceful times alone and all that. I'm saying we cannot isolate ourselves in our own homes or in our own hearts. Or and There's people even that come to church here every Sunday, but they're isolated. You know what I mean? You're physically here, but emotionally you're not. Like, I've been hurt too many times. I'm not opening up. I don't, I'm ashamed. I have sin to hide, or I have brokenness in my past, or the last 17 churches I've been to hurt, whatever your situation is. And, and you're here physically, and you're listening and saying amen, maybe even experiencing the presence of God, but if you don't love people, you don't know God. You have to open up again. You have to trust again. You have to give again. You got to take care of people again. And that's where we learn Jesus. It's where we know Christ. It's how we figure out who God is. Because we can know all the Bible stories where Jesus loved his enemies, but until we actually do that, we don't know the Lord. We can know that Jesus said, love my neighbor, take care of the people who don't have stuff or whatever, but we have to do it. We cannot be just a hearer of the word. We have to actually do it. You don't have to be somebody different, but we do have to love people, whatever that is. The naturally outgoing and gabby people, the Holy Spirit's kind of going to tell them, all right, we're going to kill your flesh by telling you to shut up and sit down and don't be the center of attention and, and don't just be quiet. And those of us who would naturally be quiet is like, okay, speak up, speak up. Come on, come on, come on. Engage. Love that person. Take care of them. Get out of the car and talk to them. Whatever the Lord has for us to love people. It will look like you. It will be you, but it will stretch your flesh. It will actually kill your flesh. But I'm just saying stretch to be nice so it don't scare you. <laughs> so I want to tell you, I'm here to tell you this morning, God is not enough. God is not enough. We have to have each other. He, he designed us. We are wired in our souls for relationship with other people in ways that God cannot fulfill. He will not fulfill. We cannot worship our way into total fulfillment. We cannot read our Bible into total fulfillment. Now, if you're only relating to people and you're not relating to God, you're not going to be fulfilled either. All right, let's just say that. I'm not saying don't worship and don't read your Bible, just go out and and be friendly. That is not what I'm talking about. No, 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 no. But I'm saying if you are one who has served the Lord and you give your time and you give your money, you read your Bible and you pray and you worship and you know God loves you and, you're, and you find yourself just pushing harder and harder and trying harder and I'm not, I'm lonely. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. Well, be, you need friends. God designed us. He wired us to need each other. He said it is not good. That you're alone. So emotional isolation, spiritual isolation, relational isolation breaks us. It drives us crazy. You know the crackpots that physically isolate themselves and they think they're going to live out the apocalypse with their guns and their gold. They go crazy. They are crazy. (laughs) We cannot isolate ourselves for survival. We need each other for survival. We need the church, we need family, we need love. So here's what I'm going to tell you this morning, the 10 relationships that we have to have. There may be more, and I'm not particularly in any order of like most important through least. I'm just, I just have a list of 10. 10 relationships that God designed us to have that we absolutely must have in order to know him. This is the goal, is to know God. How do I know God? By relating correctly to all the different kinds of relationships that he's made for us. So again, not in any order, But just number one on my list is that we need authority in our life. 
The Bible highlights four areas of authority. Civil government authorities, presidents and, and governors and police officers. God bless our police officers. Uh, civil authorities, government and police and so on. Family authorities, God's put an f- authority structure in the family. God has put an authority structure in the church. We need pastor and apostle and evangelist and teacher and, and prophet and so on. And there's what I call social authority, and the Bible calls that your boss and your teacher. There's situations where there's a teacher in authority over a kid or a coach or, or your boss is definitely an authority that the Bible says we have to submit to and that we need. Romans 13 on the screen says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. 1 Peter 2 says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Titus, Paul writes this, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And in 1 Timothy 5, Let the elders who rule be counted... Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The Bible hides, does not hide the fact at all that there's bad authorities. And Proverbs talks about it, Psalms talks about it, the apostles encounter them in Acts, and it doesn't sugarcoat it. There's really bad people in authority. But the scriptural command is that we submit to authority, except if they tell us to disobey God. The apostles made it very clear we do not obey government authorities or a bad pastor who is somehow telling us to disobey God, but that's way more rare than people claim. We need authority in our life. We need our government. We need our family authorities. We need church authorities, and we need our boss, teachers. We need authorities because we need somebody who, will, who can make us do something we don't want to do and or we don't think we can do. How many of you had a coach that pushed you to the point of puking and you did not think you could do it, but he or she made you do it and you find out, I can do it. Or you had a teacher who believed in you and you didn't think you would ever get it and the teacher spent extra time and pushed and, and brought you to tears, but you got it. Or those of you in the military, you had a drill sergeant who pushed you hard. And it wasn't because they hated you. It was because they had the authority to make you do it. And they made you into a better man or a woman, as the case may be. Come on. We have to have authorities who have power over us to force us to do things we don't want to do or things we don't think we can do, and they make us some better people. Come on. Proverbs says multiple times that if you're wise, you will love instruction. If you are wise, you will love rebuke. I don't run into very many people who like it when I tell them they're wrong. <laughs> there are a few. There are a few. They thank me. Thank you very much for pointing that out. Most time, people make excuses and justify it. But Proverbs says if you, if you are wise, you will love to be rebuked. We need authorities. If we're wise, we'll listen to them. We've got to have, in the church, we've got to have pastors and apostles and prophets who are teaching us. You know, we, teachers or coach or drill sergeant or parents, a police officer, just somebody there to push us, to make us do right. And we need their protection. We, we need police officers. Praise God for police officers. Praise God for governors and presidents. And then it, it really stinks when it's not good. But we need authority. We need discipline. Proverbs says that discipline is peace and success, but a child who is undisciplined is an embarrassment to his mother. Because anarchy is not freedom. Discipline and rules is freedom. Everybody being in the right place in the family, in the structure of authority, is where freedom and love are. We've got to have authorities. Again, not in any order, just ten relationships. Number one is authority. Number two, we need friends. We need people 
that we like to be around where no one is in charge, where no one is responsible for the relationship. I'm not parenting this person and I'm not subject to this person. We just hang together because we like each other. And it's fun and nobody is on duty. We've got to have friends. We've got to have friends. People that we love to play pinochle with or go out to dinner or around the campfire or whatever it is, people who can be the, you can be the real you and you know that they love you, warts and all. And you love them, warts and all. Job 6, 14 says, a friend shows kindness in affliction. When there's trouble, it's good to have friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I hope you have somebody that you trust enough that they can tell you the truth and even when it hurts, you still love them and you know they love you. Whether now that's your mother-daughter relationship and you are friends or it's just faithful are the wounds of a friend. Friends can say things that sting. Like, oh yeah, but thanks for being brave enough to say that. If you had somebody you thought was a friend and you spoke up and they now no longer want to be with you, you never really were friends in the first place. Or if you've done that to somebody else, they pointed out something about you and now you don't like them, you never were their friend. Friendship has to pass this test to be real friendship. Can somebody call you on your bad stuff and you know they love you And hey, let's play Pinochle next Friday. Thank you very much. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27.9 says, The deep talks of friendship bring supreme satisfaction to our heart. I hope you have somebody. I don't know. Not everybody does because not everybody puts in the time to do it. But there's there's a friendship where you can get lost in conversation for five minutes or three hours and it all feels the same. And you walk away like, yeah... That person knows me and I know them, him or her, whatever it is. Couple with couple or man to man, woman to woman. God designed friendship to fulfill a need in us that he cannot. Uh, Proverbs says there's a friend who's closer than a brother and that includes Jesus. I, I would say in my relationship with Jesus, I feel friendship with him. But I also have to have guys that are friends and he's not jealous. It isn't competing. It isn't one or the other or I'm not fulfilled in the Lord so I'm going to have friends. He knows we have to have friends. He wants us to have friends. He's not jealous. Like, oh, Mitch and Kathleen ought to be fulfilled in me. No, he knows that we need friends. Well, if Jason was just more faithful to me, he wouldn't feel lonely. No, we got to have friends. You got to put in the time. Friendship takes a lot of time and it's awkward and sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it doesn't last. And then that really hurts. And it's like, I'm not going to try that again. But God designed us for friendship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens his friend. I need, again, the guys who can call me on my faults and sharpen me. The guys who can push me to be better. The guys who can challenge me, and I know they love me. Number three, we need family. And I hope that you have a great, close, wonderful family, but I know a lot of you are from very broken families. But regardless of how difficult it is, we need our family. God is a father, and everything that he does is family-oriented. In Proverbs 6, Solomon tells this, My son, obey your father's commandments and do not neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. Even if your parents are not Christians, if they don't know the Lord, they still have some wisdom to give you just because they're your parents. Because they have lived longer than you. There may be some things to not listen to. There may be some Ways they taught you that you need to reject. Family culture kind of stuff that you were raised in. You're like, no, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to break that cycle and I'm going to live in the Lord. I totally get that. But honor your father and mother. 
We, your brothers and sisters are your siblings. We need each other. The Bible also says that a friend who's close is better than a brother who's far away. So uh, there's guys here in, in Union County that I'm closer to than my brothers who live in Colorado and Missouri. But when we get together, we're brothers. And we laugh like remembering stories of when we were little boys and we have a great time. And I love my brothers. I'm not real close with them just for the sake of the Lord has moved me here and, and given me this and, and I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to do. But if you have family close, I know that especially with in-law situations, it, it, there's tension and stress. But if you have family close, you need to not take that for granted because those of us whose family are spread out all over and I, I get to see my brothers maybe once every other year and it's not fun. It's family's family. I've, I know you've heard blood is thicker than water. As tough as family can be, you're still blood. The next scripture is Proverbs 17. It says, a brother is born for adversity. You know, when you're in trouble, a lot of times it's family that comes to help. Even when it's bad, tough, stressful situations in your family, a lot of times blood is thicker than water. And you find out your family will take care of you in a way that people who profess to be your friends won't. We need family. Number one, we need authority. Number two, friends. Number three, family. Number four, I need a church. I need a spiritual family. I need a place to grow. I need a spiritual covering. I need a pastor. I need apostolic covering. We need a place where there's spiritual father and mother, where there's family. Church is where we live out those First John verses because they're all in the context of Christian brothers and sisters. Brethren, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Brethren, that's the church. Let us love one another for those who love know God. Starts with our Christian brothers and sisters. And again, you know, I know church hurts. I've lived through some splits myself. I know that a large number of you in the room came from other churches beforehand. And, and he's put us together here and I know we all got stories and fears and distrust and, and dysfunctions. <laughs> There's dysfunctions in this church. But for, what, for everything that we have that we have that needs fixed or addressed or improved, we have a great family. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not stop meeting together. The rest of the verse says, And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day means the day Jesus returns. Do you see the day approaching? absolutely the day is approaching so we should be meeting together more not less well Mitch we're busy it's July and August church has got to be priority folks I'm not saying don't go camping or hunting whatever but but you can't be here once a month that's not okay it's got to be priority church family church is where we live out those first John verses where we find the people that we like and the people that we don't like and we love them all with the people that we get along with and the people that hurt us. And we love. It's where we live out 1 John. It's where we know Jesus. If you don't love the church, if you're not really plugged into a church, you're not very close to Jesus because he's where his bride is. For all of her problems and warts, Jesus loves her very, very much. If you don't love the church, you don't have the heart of Jesus. You, I need... You need disciples. You need people you are raising up in the Lord. Whether that is teaching a little kids class or helping with the youth group or maybe just in a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship where there's a single mom who's in trouble and you were there 20 years ago and hey, I, got, I, can, I can help you. I can, I can raise you up. I can bring you through this because I've been through that. Or the new mom or... Somebody going through bankruptcy. Hey, I've been there, done that. Let's talk about the godly way to handle this. Somebody that you are training up, bringing up in the Lord. You would say, well, I, I've only been walking with the Lord six months. There's somebody who's only been walking with the Lord six days. You can tell your testimony. You can train them. You can help. You can serve in some way. We need people, we're disciples. We need people we're training up in the Lord, people that we are raising up. 
Reproduction is fundamental to all of life. Even the atheist, environmentalists, evolutionists see that. Everything is about reproduction. And then people get saved and they sit in church for the rest of their life and they don't reproduce anything. They never give away anything. God has deposited what he has put in you so that you can give it to the next person. Whether that's children in class or the youth group or some other situation. Got a couple that's on the verge of divorce. You've been there. Dig into their life. Say, hey, 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 whoa, wait, wait. We can help you here. We know how this feels. We know how bad this sucks. Come on, hang in there. We'll help you. You can forgive. You can get through this. Or through a divorce or whatever is going to happen. You can lead people. God has given you stuff that you need to impart to other people. He, uh, next scripture is first, 2 Timothy 2.22. What you have heard from me, pass this on to faithful men. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, everything I've given you, you give it to the next group. You give it to the next generation. It's what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you what the Lord's deposited in me. Please don't let it end with you. Pass it on to somebody else. Take it home. Take it to work. Wherever your home church is, whatever the situation is, pass it on. We need disciples. We need people we're raising up in the Lord. If you don't care about people younger than you, either in age or in the Lord, you don't have the heart of God. Okay, we're talking about people, loving people equals knowing Jesus. You don't know Jesus if you don't care enough about people to raise them up in the Lord. If you come to church just for what you can receive, I'm tired, it's been a long week, I just want to sit. That's not the heart of Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You may have times when you need but to be filled up, but we ought to be giving. Number nine, again, in no particular order. Number nine, we need needy people. We need the people who can't give us anything back. The people we just flat have to take care of. Jesus said, when you, host, when you invite people to your house for dinner, don't invite your friends who will invite you back. You invite the lame and the maimed and the broken and the blind, the people who can never pay you back, and you bring them in and you sit them at your table and you feed them and you love them. Come on. We need the people who are so broken or needy or poor that when we serve them and love them and help them, they cannot pay us back. We love them anyway. Why do we need that? Because that's who Jesus is. And we don't know Jesus unless we do what he did. Come on. So I'm not saying pick up every hitchhiker, but pick up a hitchhiker. I'm not saying throw money at everybody at the Walmart intersection. In fact, don't give them money. They're making $20 an hour or 50 But get out of your car and talk to them. When you throw money out the window at them, you're actually just putting a salve on your conscience so that you think you did something. They don't need money. So get out of your car and give them 10 minutes and you will find out you're way more selfish with your time than your money. Well, I'm in a hurry. I got stuff to do. I can't love that person. I'll just throw them a 20 Come on. We need the people who can't pay us back, that we just flat take care of. Somebody in bad financial situation, somebody in a bad spot in their health, where you just give up your life to take care of them. Jesus said, it's me you're visiting in the hospital or not. It's me you're visiting in jail or not. It's me you're feeding or not. Come on, folks. Jesus made it so simple. He told us what's on the test when he comes back. He told us the questions that are on the test so we can study ahead of time and we can get an A. He said, when I come back, I'm going to have these questions for you. Did you visit me at the hospital? You have either done that or you haven't. Did you visit me in jail? You have either done that or you haven't. He's not going to ask, did you fast 40 days for world revival? 
He's not going to ask, did you change the world? Did you march to end abortion? No, did you feed the little kid in front of you who was hungry? We're not going to change the world, but you might change eternity for 15 people in Union County. It's so simple. I know it's not easy, but it's really simple instructions. Get out of your car. Get out of your schedule. Get out of your wallet and love people, and you will know Jesus in a way that you cannot know him. You know how he treated, you read the story, you know how he treated the woman at the well, you know how he treated, uh, well, he didn't do it, but he told the story of the good Samaritan or the prodigal son, but unless we do that, we don't know him. We gotta have people to take care of. That we pay a cost to reach them. James says, real religion is taking care of orphans and widows. Whether that's in this church or down your street, or in the foster care system, take care of people who cannot take care of themselves. We need those relationships because Jesus said, when you do it, you're doing it to me. So if we don't, if we avoid those kind of relationships, there's another isolation. I'm avoiding those people that make me nervous at the Walmart stop sign. I look the other way. You're avoiding Jesus. Come on. Number 10. I know I need to be quiet here. I'm sorry I'm going long. Number 10, we need enemies. And I, re- I mean that with a capital N-E-E-D. We need enemies. We need the people that don't like us. We need the people who lie. We need the people who intentionally misunderstand us and misrepresent us. Whatever the situation is, we need people to forgive in order to know God. We cannot read the book. We can know who God is and what he says and what he taught, but if you want to know it, I mean know it, we have to do it. We need our enemies. Now, in a loose sense, we need the people who disagree with us, politically or religiously, Because people who disagree with us challenges us, okay, I have to really examine what I think. Why do I believe what I believe? Right? The charismatic needs the Baptists, and the Baptist needs the charismatics, and we all need the Catholics, and so on and on, just in church context. We need to know, we need the people that disagree with us. If we reject them, that's isolation, which is not thinking straight, which is not knowing God. Come on. I'm not a Baptist or a Catholic for a reason, but I need them. I need to know what they believe and why because that makes me know what I believe and why. I I need the people who contend with me, who disagree with me, because it makes me examine myself. I need people to compete with me. In sports, you know, if you're just playing some sport by yourself, you're never going to get better. But if somebody comes along who challenges you, it makes you better. In business, it's the same thing. In church, it's the same thing. There's pastors that do it better than me. They provoke me to do it better. Or whatever, in your business, your competition makes you better. We need those who will contend with us, who push us, the ones that we don't like. How do you know how good you can be unless somebody is fighting you? In sports, I mean, or in career politician, whatever it is. We need the people who will contend with us. But in a really true, literal, hardcore sense, I mean we need enemies. Because Jesus said this. In Luke 6, he said, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Jesus said, You're in bad shape if everybody likes you. You are way too nice. And you are not like me. If everybody likes you, it's because you're speaking soft words that aren't true. You need the people that don't like you, or you're not like me. In that same chapter, he says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus said, Be very, very excited and happy When people don't like you for my sake. When people don't want to hear what you have to say, 
when people are challenged by your morality or your righteousness, be very, very happy. If everybody likes you, you don't know me. You are speaking way too soft. Well, how is that? God has made it so that we, I mean, we need our enemies. I truly mean that in a literal sense. God has made it so that he is a destiny for us somewhere out there. This purpose for our existence, this plan. And then he puts somebody in the way to stop that from happening. Jesus with the Pharisees. David with Saul. Esther with Haman. The very opposite thing of what God's plan is, there will be a person that God puts in front of you to stop you from doing that. And in relating to that person like David did with Saul, he had to honor his authority. He had to respond to Saul correctly in a way that broke David over and over and again for decades. And it made him into David. Jesus would never have been Jesus without the Pharisees. Esther would never have been Esther without Haman. Come on. We need our enemies. God puts people in our path who will try to stop us from reaching the destiny he has made and in relating to that person in godliness and love and competition and contention, we become who God, the exact thing that God wanted, the exact thing that other person is trying to stop. Saul tried to stop David from being king. It made David the greatest king in history. Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. God made it so that through Esther, the Jews killed all their enemies. The Pharisees wanted to stop Jesus and they brought Jesus to his destiny, which was the cross. It was God's plan all along. Jesus had to have enemies for him to reach his destiny and so do we. If you're nice and get along with everybody, you're going to miss your destiny because that isn't love. Real love is contentious sometimes for the truth. It really is. Those are the 10 relationships that we need that God has designed for us. And as we live out all of the joys and the pains of those relationships, you will know God in a way that other people who avoid those kind of relationships will never know God. They won't know forgiveness. They won't know love. They won't know the pain. They won't know the joy. Oh, the success of being on the other side, of pushing through a hard situation. They won't know the fulfillment of opening up again after you've been closed for a long time. You will know God. You can know God. Love people. Amen.